The following podcast is a Dear Media production. This story and interview is currently being investigated. She's a lifestyle blogger extraordinaire. Fantastic. And he's a serial entrepreneur. A very smart cookie. And now Lauren Everts and Michael Bostick are bringing you along for the ride. Get ready for some major realness. Welcome to the Skinny Confidential, him and her. Aha! Went to my door and I remember, and while I'm talking, it's just like being there again, my heart beating so fast. Opened my door quietly, tipped on down the spiral staircase, went to my mother's wallet, took out 113 euros, one cigarette, first time and last time I've ever stolen, and put in my iPod and put on Celine Dion's Taken Stanza song, opened the front door, and I just ran. And I ran as fast as I could. I didn't feel my legs, only felt the cold air in my face and the music playing. Hey guys, welcome back to the Skinny Confidential Him and Her podcast. You have this me, story and Lauren Everett, as your main host. I'm just kidding. Oh, the main host. Huh? As the co-host. And then we have my husband. You can be the main host. I don't mind taking who, playing second fiddle here. You have this like long eyebrow hair that is so long. Um, someone can't, called it a wisdom hair. <laughs> it's, I, it's, I think it happens when you become a father. You just get these long, bushy eyebrow hairs. It's like that's what happens to the male species as we evolve into fathers. Okay, I need you to like trim it or something, though. Today we have a very important episode. Um, this is something that we have wanted to talk about on our podcast for a long time, but we wanted to make sure we were sensitive. And before we get into it, I just want to put a trigger warning out there that this episode does go in a lot of different directions. We talk about child trafficking and rape, abortions, um, molestation. There's a lot of really sensitive topics. So if you're in the car with kids or if this hits too close to home, I would recommend maybe skipping this episode. Yeah. And you know, if we put a trigger warning, like it is a real warning because obviously this is a this is a really sensitive subject. It was honestly a really hard episode to get through, not because our guest Coco is not great, um, but because this, you know, this is this is a dark subject and it's a subject that we ourselves had to, you know, we had to talk um, internally a lot about, like, how do you go about having these conversations? Do you even should we even feature these conversations? You know, this is the first time we've delved into these waters on this podcast. And, you know, I'm glad we did. This month happens to be National Slavery and Human Trafficking Prevention Month. Um, so the episode's timely. And Coco, who you'll hear in a little bit, has a extremely impactful story, you know, a story that starts in a very dark place and, and ultimately ends up in a in a lighter place. So this is, this is an episode where both Lauren and I, you know, even while we were doing the show, like there's tears, there's anger, there's sadness, there's a lot of emotions because you can't... I don't think you can be a human being and hear something like this and not be affected in an, in an extreme way. Personally, got very angry hearing about her story um, and the things she had to go through and also, you know, very sad. And you just want to like, you know, you just want to be able to step in and help someone like this. And and I think if this episode can do anything to shed more awareness on this subject and get other people to step in and call this stuff when they see it or hear about it, you know, when it comes to trafficking and child abuse, you know, then then I think we've done a, a good thing. I think the decision was ultimately we have to be having these uncomfortable conversations that aren't always comfortable to actually make change with what's happening. And Coco has a story, which you'll hear, and she's a child trafficking survivor. She's also in school for forensic psychology and forensic neurology, and she works heavily with counter human trafficking. Um, she works with a lot of different charities. She's a soon-to-be author, and she is the founder of CB Scholarship, which is also the Coco Berthman Scholarship Fund. And this provides scholarships to survivors of human trafficking for higher education. So it offers all kinds of tools to end human trafficking for every community. And I just want to say before we get into this episode that now as a mother, um, I learned a lot about how you can do your part in your own neighborhood. So and Coco talks a lot about this in the episode. You can make a difference just by starting at home. With that, let's welcome the incredible Coco Berthman to the Skinny Confidential, Him and Her Show. This is the Skinny Confidential, Him and Her. I am so excited to have Coco in studio today. Want to give the audience some context, background of you. Can you go back to when you're very young and walk us through your childhood, how you grew up? Give us all the details. Yeah, I'm super excited to be here. Thank you for having me. My name is Coco. I 
pretty much a regular girl right now, going to school, becoming a forensic psychologist, neurologist, and wanting to be a profiler with a jurisdictional emphasis. But my childhood started not as fortunate. So I'm actually a child trafficking survivor, was trafficked for the first 15 years of my life by my own mother, back in Germany, born and raised in Germany, and escaped on November 2nd, 2009. And that was over 11 years ago. And now I'm trying to fight human trafficking by educating society and encouraging trauma healing. When you say escaped, do you mean that you just... Ran away. Ran away? Mm-hmm. It's like you just decided one day I'm running away. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a longer story, but at age... There, obviously, when whatever you're born into, it's your normal. So you don't ask really questions until you start developing a critical thinking. And so for me, being born into trafficking, A, I didn't know that I was either abused or trafficked. And seeing the movies didn't really seem like what happened to me. I was never kidnapped. I went to school and I went to dance classes and horseback riding and so forth. And so obviously I thought my life is normal, painful, but normal. We were never allowed to talk about anything that happened behind closed doors and people would come to our home to take advantage of us or abuse us. The only odd thing about us was that we moved at least once a year. So I was in 16 different schools before the age of 14, which I know now is a tactic of traffickers to keep victims disorientated, to give no opportunity to build any trusted relationships or support system. So throughout my childhood, while the trafficking was happening and the abuse was happening, my siblings and I, we started watching shows like everybody else in our age and my older sister and I, we started watching Gilmore Girls when I think I was like six or seven. And I started craving that kind of relationship to my mother. And I didn't quite understand why I did not have that kind of relationship with my mom. And then I realized that now looking back, I've always tried to connect to elder women to fulfill that desire of a motherly role. And then we started watching Law and Order Special Victims Unit, which is still running. Shout out to that show. And I started realizing something is way too familiar at our home, what is portrayed in that show. So I created this imaginary world that I escaped every time an abuse would happen. And in that world, it's kind of the cheesy part of my story, but in that world, Celine Dion became my mom. And every time something bad happened, I could tell her and I like she would sing me a lullaby or tuck me into bed. And she just became my role model. I was like, I want to be like her, so empathetic and loving and not what is happening in our home. And then in this world, also, Mariska Hargitay, who's playing Olivia Benson in that Law and Order SVU, she became that police officer in my imaginary world that would come and rescue us and arrest the bad guys. Obviously, none of that happened, but that imaginary world kept me going and I could dissociate it at any rape or abuse. And so while I was growing older and started watching those shows, I started understanding something is not right at home. And Law and Order was actually the show that literally taught me that I'm being abused while nobody else was talking about it. So then preteen years, you already like question everything your parents do. And then for me, obviously more. And there were really bad incidences at our home that scare me and kind of like started developing this desire that I wanted to leave. Unfortunately, my older sister that I started watching those shows with, she passed away during the trafficking And that was a big moment for me that I was like, if I stay, I'm not going to be okay here. And I started researching on the internet how I could get away. I had access to everything. I was just so manipulated as a child that I would never question or even have the idea to leave. But thankfully, for some reason, my brain decided we got to leave here. And so I became the sneaky little child researching for any resources that would help me to get out of there. And I found a clinic on the other side of the country in Germany that was treating traumatized children. And I think I was 12 at that time. And I called them on behalf of a friend saying, I have a friend who's in trouble. How can she get help? And that clinic told me, well, as long as they don't know the name, they can't help that girl. But if that girl is coming to the clinic, she will be helped because in Germany, there was a law that says that if a child wants to get treatment, even against the parents, they won't be able to take them out. So I knew, okay, that is my ticket. And I think the clinic already had an idea that I'm talking about myself, but I they couldn't do anything until I would say my name. But then I was like, well, I'm 12 years old. How am I going to get to the other side of the country with no money, like clueless? So I kind of let that go. And it was just this 
desire and like fantasy that I could go there at some point. Unfortunately, at age 14, I became pregnant by one of the abusers and it wasn't detected until later on and an illegal abortion was performed on me. And that was the moment that I decided that I got to go. Otherwise, I won't be able to survive this. And physically, I nearly didn't survive that abortion. It was really horrific. And that was when I made my fantasy interaction. And I found out that I need a train from the one side of the country to the other side. I needed 113 euros. I didn't have any money. Then my mother decided that she wanted to go for a weekend to Poland and leave us at home. And it gave me enough time, I thought, to leave without her noticing that I gone. And so she left on the night of November 1st, uh, 2009. And I was like, okay, great. I have time now to pack. So I started packing. And I kid you not, after an hour that she left, she called back from the highway saying, I have a bad feeling I'm coming back home. And I'm like, what the? Like, I was convinced she's a witch. Like, there would be not, like, there was not an explanation for me. And I remember that moment that I was just so crushed. And, like, my heart just sunk and I made peace that I'm just going to die here. And that's going to be it. And so I went to bed, unpacked everything before she would notice. And during, I don't know, during the night, I think it was like three or four in the morning, I woke up. And I have never had that feeling before or ever since. I don't know how to explain it. Some might call it God. Others might call it the universe. I woke up and it felt like somebody was literally behind my back saying, you got to go and you got to go now. And it felt like somebody was pulling me out of bed and I just walked towards my closet, so determined, grabbed a backpack, threw in some items of underwear, went to my door and I remember and while I'm talking it's just like being there again my heart beating so fast opened my door quietly tipped on down the spiral staircase and went to my mother's wallet took out 113 euros one cigarette first time and last time I've ever stolen I quit smoking don't smoke and put in my airpot and put on Celine Dion's taking stanza song opened the front door I took the keys I don't know why probably just habit and I just ran and I ran as fast as I could. I didn't feel my legs, only felt the cold air in my face and the music playing. Got to the bus station that would take me to the train station. And I remember the bus driver was like, oh, are you going on a trip? And I literally looking at him at my age 15 sassiness, I'm like, no, I'm running away from home. And he's like, oh, we got to call the cops then, don't we? And I was like, well, if you do, I can't run away from home. Duh. <laughs> and he's like, you're right. <laughs> he let me go. He just let me go. And I'm like, what? Looking back, I believe there was some higher power playing into it. And so I made it to the train station. And it was at a local train station. I had to go to the main train station. At that point, I was so paranoid already. It was about 6.30 in the morning. Then the ice train came. We had those super fast trains in Germany. I jumped on that one. And I was in it for three hours. And then I had to change my train in Frankfurt main station. If you've ever been in Germany... To any train station, especially that one, you know it's madness. It's big, it's chaotic, it's so many people. There I am at age 15, never been traveling alone, had 10 minutes to change from one train track to the other on the other side of that train station. I was just losing it. But all I remember thinking was, wait a second, in all of those movies, if they don't want to be tracked, they're all throwing away their phones. My phone. So I just threw it away. And I made it to the next train. And I sat down in one of the compartments. If you have a watched Harry Potter, you know, when they like sit in those compartments. And I found this elderly woman and I just decided to sit with her. She just radiated some comfort. And we started chatting and I lied to her. She's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm a student moving across the country for school, et cetera, et cetera. It was just so peaceful sitting with her and getting that comfort from somebody else. And... We arrived at the train station and I made it to the clinic and I didn't talk for days. They submitted me, uh, admitted me first to the symptomic, like regular station. I was in really bad condition, malnourished, bruised, and they couldn't really figure out what's going on. At that point, my mother already tried to find me. She realized I'm gone. She reported a missing report on, like, on me and they tried to find me. But I've got to say this clinic was a blessing. They understood something without me telling anything. 
And they didn't give out any information. They left me there. They didn't let the police come in. They had a police and um, social worker come in. And she tried to get out something out of me for like days. And I think at day three or four, she finally got something out of me. And I, you got to understand, like trauma is super complex. Abuse is super complex. Now be a child abused by one of your parents. You don't really understand, A, what really happened. Then you struggle with loyalty issues, confusion. What is really the world? Everything you've learned up until this point is wrong. So I did not say anything about my mother. I only said that I um, was abused by my stepdad. And they questioned me for, I think, eight hours. Horrible experience. And all they did was going to his computer, found a bunch of porn, and they let the case go. I'm going to let everyone in on a little secret. Michael runs stressed. You oh, do. that's a secret? I don't think anyone thinks that's you a secret. You do. You run stressed. You love to do this thing. I call it MUS. It's made up stress. And your whole family does it. It's like you freak out about nothing. So I have recently started slipping some magnesium into your drink every single night. And man, oh man, is it working. The one that I've been using is called Magnesium Breakthrough, and this is a complete formula that includes naturally derived forms of seven forms of supplemental magnesium and doesn't, and this is the most important thing, contain any synthetic additives or preservatives. The reason I like this magnesium supplement is because most magnesium supplements fail to help beat stress for two reasons. First, they're synthetic, unnatural, and not recognized by our body, so they don't even know how to start working. And they are not full spectrum, meaning they don't have all the seven forms that you need in order to minimize your stress. Magnesium is something I've been talking about on the blog um, since I've been blogging. I remember doing a post on it, and I think it had like the most hits ever because one of the things magnesium does is it keeps things moving, but also gives you a sense of calm and relaxation. And most importantly for Michael, helps relax your nervous system and stress levels. Well, I think there's many people out there like me that kind of just run all the time a little bit stressed. I've been that way my whole life, or maybe just a little bit more anxious than others. And so for those of you that do run the same way that I do, I think you understand like how important it is to get the stress under control. And this is the most potent oral magnesium that you will find, period. Many love it. That's why I love it. You get the nervous system to take it easy, calm down a little bit so that you can, you know, function a little better. So what I would say is try the magnesium breakthrough for at least 30 days. Give it to your stressed out significant other and see if it makes a difference in your mood and stress and gets things moving. Today, you're going to get 10% off with a special Skinny Confidential coupon code. All you have to do is visit biooptimizers.com slash skinny. That's B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com slash skinny and inner code skinny10. Magnesium is life-changing. They never even got gave me a physical examination for ex- abuse. So there was many moments throughout my childhood that I fell through the cracks of the system where I could have been rescued and I didn't. And we can talk about that later too. I have some points there. What happened then is that my mother tried to sue me back home by saying a child belongs home, et cetera, et cetera. So I was in that hospital for six months and at age 15, I represented myself in court against my mother and I won. They saw that my eldest sister, she left when she was 15, six years prior. And because of that note at Child Protective Services, the judge made a judgment call. And I will forever be grateful to this judge who understood something without me needing to talk about it. She said, no, we're not going to send you back home. You are good. We're going to put a restraining order here at 16. You're on your own. And that day, I thought, finally, finally, my life begins. It was good for about a few weeks. And I decided that I, and I got my own apartment. I went, started high school because I wanted to finally go to high school. None of my family members ever graduated from high school. And that was my biggest dream, education. And so then I decided I want to work on what happened. I'm going to find a therapist so I can start healing. And with that therapist, unfortunately, I encountered my next abuser, which I know now, very common, unfortunately. He, in the beginning, it was great. We'd have great sessions. And then at 16, you don't understand that concept. But what happened for me is that I developed this emotional dependency of a client to to a therapist. Very normal. Happens normally uh, on like a common basis. And good therapists know how to handle that. 
to my surprise, when I told him what I'm feeling, he said, oh, I feel the same way. We should stop therapy and start a private contact. At age 16, I was over the moon because I was like, oh, there's somebody that cares about me. Because I, at that point, I was alone. I had to leave everything behind that I knew, even though it was super traumatic. It still was everything that I knew. And now you're all alone on your own in this world at age 16, trying to survive. And then this guy comes around that I just adored, never in like a romantic feeling, more like a father figure. And so I was so grateful when he said, let's start a therapy, uh, personal um, private contact and stop therapy. And I said, yes, of course. And so a few weeks in, like we went out for lunch and I was able to walk his dog and we were just hanging out, having a good time. He checking up on me and like schoolwork. He said, I feel really bad that you're 16, going to high school, working at night, going to school in the morning. Why don't you come move in with me? And you don't have to worry about rent and like the logistics. And you shouldn't be worrying about that at age 16. Again, looking back, now I understand much better at red flags. But at that point, being so manipulated and coming from a world of trauma and abuse and manipulation, I was over the moon that he would offer that, that he cares so much about me that to offer me to move in. And so obviously I moved in and everything was okay for the first few weeks. And then it slowly started to digress. And he set up more and more rules that were impossible to follow. I was never good enough. I needed to do more. He became passive aggressive. So the typical abuser development, you know, like super nice and charming in the beginning and then showing his narcissistic self. And at some point he said, I think we should take you out of school to focus on your healing. And that was the worst thing that could have happened because he is a therapist. He signed some papers and it was good and nobody really ever followed up. And so then I was at home with him all day and nothing happened at this point up until a day where I was taking a shower at night and he didn't allow me anymore to lock my doors because he was afraid that I was suicidal. I was like, I'm not, but I just followed the rules. I just wanted him to be happy and not cause any trouble. One night I was taking a shower. He just walked in and I was shocked. I was like, what, what are you doing? Just started brushing my his teeth. And I was just like, hey, can you go out? And that was the night when he started abusing me for the next two years. And it became really bad. And I really believe when he said, look, nobody's looking for you. I'm the only one taking care, caring. I'm here. And it just went into my head. Coming from a background of abuse, the next abuser, the next trauma bond, I'm stuck. And so then in November of 2013, Celine came out with a new album. It's called Called Me Back to Life. And I was so pissed at her because all she ever did was sing about love and all this ooey gooey rainbow stuff and I was so fed up with it I'm like I'm done like I don't believe in this crap of loving anymore because what I know about love hurts it's bad it's torture and at that point I was allowed to go grocery shopping and go out you know and anything I would never run away because at that point I was not only emotionally dependent but also financially dependent stuck in that trauma bond and so I had no place to go nor any friends because he made sure that I had no support system. So in the end of November of 2013, instead of going to the grocery store, I went to the pharmacy, got a bunch of pills and bottle of wine. I went to the forest and I attempted suicide, downed all the pills and all the wine. And it took about 30 minutes to have it all kick in. Horrible experience. And I won't go into too much graphic, otherwise it might be triggering for some. But what happened is that I some point hallucinated, passed out, couldn't move my body, and I was dead. And what from what I learned afterwards is that a doc found, found me and its owner. They started performing CPR, called the ambulance, and I got back to life. And I was in a coma for about a week until I woke up. And let me just tell you, waking up from a coma is not as pretty as we see in the movies. <laughs> and I, once I started thinking clearly, I remember the first thought that I had is, oh my gosh, Coco, you can't even kill yourself. Why are you even here? I always get emotional. And it took me a minute. And I was so angry at Celine for her music. And because the doctor saw my keychain and it said Celine Dion, and they were concerned why nobody was like calling in or asking for me or like nobody was questioning who this girl is or, or yeah, looking for me. 
So they got me that new album. And when I saw that, I was so angry at them. I was like, can you leave me? And so it took about two hours until I like finally gave in and listened to the first song. Super cheesy part, but the very first song is called Love Me Back to Life. And I listened to it and something happened. And I once I was finished, I remember just pressing that red nurse button over and over again. And I said, I need to call, talk to the police and I need to talk to them now. So they came and I testified and they arrested him. Um, and he was charged not guilty for mental illness, which is a joke because he's a therapist. He knew what to say. But he was put away, at least, um, in a mental institution. And that was when my life actually finally began. I, at age 18, went back to high school. And I was like, I don't care what anybody's saying. I'm going to finish high school. I'm going to graduate and I'm going to go to university and I'm going to do everything I've always dreamed of. And what they said about me that I'm too dumb and I'm only produced to be salt, it's not true. So I graduated from high school at age 21. And I've always had a dream to live in New York City, that city of a law and artist for you. <laughs> but also the city of dreams. You know, everybody goes to that city and works so hard. And it's just so filled with so much electricity and just everybody's so empowered and encouraging each other while well, they're being rude. But I think that's just a protective mechanism. <laughs> anyway, so I moved to New York City in July of 2015. And I think I lived the year of my life. <laughs> my One of my neighbors was Bruce Willis. And it was just hilarious. Like all the things that happened all of a sudden. I finally went skydiving. I've dreamed about it my entire life. And just had a great year of fulfilling dreams and living in the city that I've always dreamed I want to be in forever. After a year, however, I don't know why, I felt like I'm supposed to go west. And I thought, oh, it's going to be probably California. For some reason, I ended up in Las Vegas, of all places. And I was like, I don't know how I ended up here. I'm not a party girl. I don't like drinking. Like, But I moved to Vegas in 2017. And that's when I started working and volunteering for organizations that support survivors of human trafficking and refugees. And it was very shocking to learn the numbers and learn what's going on in the world and learning that we have more slaves today than ever before in history and nobody talks about it. It's a new year and we're all into wellness, which is why I'm so excited we just partnered with Sakara. Okay, so here's the deal. If you're looking to try plant-based eating or you want to build an empowered body, boost your skin's glow, or simply feel your best, Sakara makes it easy to create these rituals that last. What they do is they're a wellness company rooted in the transformative power of plant-based food. It was started by these two amazing women. We've had them on the podcast. You guys should for sure listen to that episode that changed their life by implementing these organic, beautiful meals. And now everyone can get these meals. So they have organic products ready to eat and everything has powerful plant-rich ingredients. All of these ingredients are designed to boost your energy, improve digestion, and get your skin glowing. I just feel like this is so amazing because there are so many food delivery services that you get and then you look on the back and there's like 8 million calories and carbs this is not it, okay? Each ingredient is hand-picked, and you're going to get these delicious, beautifully put-together, plant-rich meals. Sakara also offers daily wellness essentials for optimal nutrition. So they have these cute little supplement packs called the Foundation. Um, they also have this thing that Ali Webb of Drybar like, raves about all the time that I also love, and it's this metabolism super powder and this is going to help with gut health, energy, immunity, or healthy skin. These are so easy to just throw in your smoothie. You can even throw them in water. So Sakara has rave reviews from Goop, Vogue, The New York Times, and on the Skinny Confidential, I reviewed them multiple times. Right now, Sakara is offering all Skinny Confidential, him and her listeners, 20% off their first order when they go to sakara.com slash skinny or enter code skinny at checkout. That's Sakara, S-A-K-A-R-A dot com slash skinny to get 20% off your first order. Enjoy. And one of the nights, I re became really close with one of the founders of one of the organizations. And we sat down and I started talking to her about my past. Up until this point, I made it a secret. I did not want anybody to know about what happened. I felt so ashamed and guilty and so forth. And so then I finally opened up to her. And when I told her my story, 
she set me down. She's like, Coco, we got to talk. Why are you telling me what happened to you? That is considered child exploitation. You're a child trafficking survivor. And that has broken my heart in so many pieces, that moment. I can't ever put in words how it felt to be told, you're a survivor of child trafficking, and you didn't know. And it took me a few weeks to process all this information, and then this anger developed inside of me. It's like, why is nobody talking about this? And why did I have to learn from somebody else that what happened to me is child trafficking? And why was I never, why was I never taught in school what abuses, manipulation, nor trafficking? And why is nobody talking about trafficking if we have so many slaves more than ever before in history? So that's when I decided, okay, we got to do something about this, right? And I learned the statistics. We have over 40 million people worldwide considered in slaves, modern-day slaves in human trafficking. And these are all the official numbers. And we all know official numbers are always too low. The capital of human trafficking is here in the United States. And the average age of a trafficked child or victim is between 12 and 13. They're raped between 10 to 50 times a day, which I can testify of. <sighs> and it's big business. It's a $53 trillion enterprise worldwide that just keeps growing and growing. And it's nothing that we think of. We, When we hear human trafficking, we think of kidnapping. We think of dark alleys, dungeons. That is not what is happening in the world. When we speak of human trafficking, we call the luring. It's the, the Romeo style where somebody's pretending to be a boyfriend. Um, it's on social media, targeting teens to come hang out and then asking them to go do him a favor and sleep with his friend because he has done so much and grooming with gifts. And it's just horrible. Child trafficking, again, least cases are a dungeon or kidnapping Usually what happens in child trafficking in most cases is familial trafficking. So a child is being trafficked by a family and a member. So I learned all those numbers and I could go on and on and on for hours. And I was like, dang, nobody's talking about this. And it's happening in every community, in every neighborhood. We got to do something. And so I decided to share my story, which was like, I was like, oh, it's just going to be five people. It was like a small faith-based podcast. And it exploded. I could see why. First, thank you for sharing that yeah. story here. I mean, it's obviously it's an extremely impactful story for people to hear. I'm, I'm extremely sorry that you had to go through that. There's a lot to unpack here, a lot to talk about. I think starting, and we can get into more of your story, but starting, why do you think it is that people are so uncomfortable tackling this subject and talking about it? Because honestly, even even Lauren and I were like, this is going to, we've done a lot of things on this show and a lot talked a lot about a lot of different topics. This is the first time we've talked about this on the mm -hmm. show. It's a heavy topic. And we had to talk, we had to sit down and be like, how are we going to approach this and who do we approach it with? So thank you for being the person no, to thanks. do that with. This is heavy stuff, especially like me, a father of a young daughter now. Like I could never imagine like hearing that story. I want to take, I want to kill somebody when I hear that. Why do you think it is that people don't address this topic and tackle it? Many things. A, we don't want to be uncomfortable. As a human species, we're so conditioned to, especially in our society, to be happy, to be healthy, to smile, to be bubbly, to do all this um, and never show any flaws or weaknesses or anything. And then considering that bad things happen to good people, that is so hard to digest and process that we as a human being not even just good people but people that are so innocent i mean i can't imagine like a young child whose parents are doing that to her, you have no idea what's even going on in the world now that i'm in forensic neurology it's a mechanism of the brain to protect your psyche from such traumatizing things because there's such a thing called secondary trauma where you can be traumatized just by hearing somebody's story but it's a so uncomfortable that we just want to turn away. It's like, no, no, let's not talk about it. And I'm on social media and I get this on a daily basis or it's not that bad. And it's it's the denial that protects the human psyche. And then on the other hand, it's such a big problem that most people don't even know where to begin. It's so uncomprehensible that they're like, I don't know. Let me look away. And if I don't see it, it doesn't exist. And I... I am not going to judge anybody and I'm going to shame anybody, but this is why I'm doing what I'm doing to make it more approachable, to, to ed educate people and tell them like every small action has a great ripple effect. And I hope and pray that nobody ever thinks that their small actions don't matter because it is the collective good that will bring us closer to fighting this. I would like to know why you think your mother thought 
that this was okay in the first place? Was Did something happen to her? Like, wh- how did she, in her psyche, think this makes sense? Okay, so <clears throat> after years of work, and now that I study in that field, and obviously I don't have 100% evidence of everything, but what I believe happened with me is transgenerational trauma, which is a trauma that is keep going in, in generations and trauma cycle, abusive patterns. And so looking back, I had a huge desire finding out why did she do this to me? Why did my mom not love me? Because I had years and years of so much hurt going on in me. It's like, if my mom can't love me, nobody else could. And then, so I had to do the work and I had to dig deep. And so what I found is I'm half Polish and my mother's side of the family, they're all in Poland. And they did really, really well up until World War II. And my great-grandma, from what I found out, she she was forced into prostitution when World War II happened. So she was right there. And then my grandma was born in World War II, I think 42, I think. And that is when the cycle of transgenerational trauma happened. And they started that abusive pattern and exploitation. And from what I learned, that is that my mother was a child prostitute, which there's no such thing. Under the law, every minor that is exploited to commercial sex is considered a child traffic victim. So I believe that my mother was a child traffic victim under the law. Now, Meaning her mother was, was, was having her prostitute herself? I don't know the details of it. Unfortunately, I don't know the logistics. And this is, I just know those bases. I know that she was exploited by whom? I don't know. Okay. And I comparing because a lot of people is like, okay, but you didn't make those choices and she did. And I think I got very, very, very lucky with A, the people that were put on my path and B, the brain that I got, <laughs> that I was able to heal such deep trauma and find the resources that would help me heal from such complex trauma. I know I'm very, very lucky and very, very fortunate. Statistically, I should be a drug addict or a prostitute or be a trafficker or even dead. And for some reason, I bet the statistics. And I think it has to do with genetics. It has to do with the influences that I got. And I got really lucky. I call them my earthly angels. And she did not get that lucky. Now, I'm not saying what she did was okay. 100% not okay. And it's also totally wrong that my traffickers were never prosecuted. Is she, she's still alive? I believe so. Okay, but no contact, obviously. No. And I, and also statistically, out, out of 10 cases, only one will be prosecuted in human trafficking and even less are being put away, which I have worked last year with the OSC in Europe. There's some law changes happening hopefully soon. But back to like, why did she do it? I think it's the transgenerational trauma. She got stuck. She wasn't able to heal. She didn't get the resources. She didn't make the choices that would lead her to healing, which for me, I got very, very lucky to be able to break the chains and stop the transgenerational trauma from me on forward. Yeah. (laughs) I heard you say in one of your videos that the people that are the predators are people that we wouldn't think. I I think you mentioned, and tell me if I'm quoting this wrong, policemen, politicians, firefighters, high up people that are in respectable jobs. Is that true typically across the board or is that just with your case? You know what I'm all into? What? Beta Brands dress pant yoga pants. Listen, I could probably do the advert at this point. They've been partners for so long, but I love these pants. Let me tell you why. As a man, being able to look over at your lady in that dress pant yoga pant, that's all I need to put a smile on my face for the day. I'm me... scared I'm going to catch you in the dress pant oh, yoga yeah, pants. Let me, let me do this spot because okay. let me just sell it to you. Okay. I look over and I see you in that dress pant <laughs> yoga pant from Beta Brand okay. and I am just, I'm like, life is good. I think every man out there seeing their significant other in that dress pant yoga pant would feel the exact same way. So you're going to tell the world right now that I look good working from home. You look good working from home, especially in this dress pant yoga pant. And sometimes I look over and I'm like, man, I'm married to a professional boss lady that also has it all together, tight, toned up in that dress pant yoga pant. I might even want to take you out of work for the day. Catch my drift. Well, for anyone who is interested in Beta Brand's dress pant yoga pants because they're so comfortable and stylish and they hold you in, 
and make your butt look amazing, they have different colors, okay? They have different styles too. So there's something for everyone. Boot cut, straight leg, skinny, cropped, eight pocket, and more. I have the skinny black ones. Those are the ones I always go for. However, I think I'm going to try a cropped because I feel like the cropped would look really cute with like a little flat. So if you're wondering exactly what the pants Michael's referring to are, they are the skinny black jeans. Of course, we have a code for you right now. Skinny Confidential, him and her listeners can get 25% off their order when they go to betabrand.com slash skinny. That's 25% off your first order for limited time at betabrand.com slash skinny. Find out why women are buying five different pair of these pants. Go to betabrand.com slash skinny for 25% off. So from what we see in human trafficking is that we have predators from all segments of society. Now that you started the topic of high profile, I want to jump onto that because we have big misconceptions of human trafficking that it's only the high profile people. And before we started recording, I was chatting about the phenomenon about car crashes and airplane crashes. If a plane crashes, Every news station on the planet will report on it because it's so rare, it's so sensational, it's so dramatic. Now, if a car crashes, which happens in every neighborhood every day on a daily basis, and a lot of people die every day, rarely any news station covers it because it's so common. Now, people are more afraid of going into airplanes because there's more news coverage than on car crashes. They're, however, they should be more afraid of cars. So the same thing happens with human trafficking. If a high, high profile predator is being located and then brought awareness on and being investigated, every news station will cover it, will report on it, and which will cause for society to think this is where human trafficking only happens because the rest of the human trafficking is rarely ever reported. Now, it's like what we just saw with Epstein. Yeah. People don't realize human trafficking is an issue in every neighborhood. It happens in every community. Every community is affected, not just high-profile individuals, which it's really unfortunate because I promise you two and everybody watching this that you have watched human trafficking already without knowing what you're looking at. It happens every day. LA is hugely impacted by this. And the, the US is the capital of human trafficking. It's not a foreign country. It's not a developing country. It's here. And 80% of customers worldwide for child sex are American men and women. This is where I get very passionate of teaching the truth about human trafficking. Yes, high profile people are involved, but the most happens in your neighborhood. And this is where you can have an impact to take care of your community and be aware of what the signs are. Be aware of the organizations locally in your area and get involved and start the topic talking about the uncomfortable because that might have somebody else to be taught and maybe find somebody who's being trafficked and help them find courage to leave. You talk about starting in your neighborhood. So now Michael and our parents now and we're uh, our daughter's going to go to school. What mm -hmm. are signs that we can look for as parents or teachers, or what are the signs that we can see that something's off? So I would always look first and foremost for the typical abuse signs. How is that child behavior? Is it extraordinary? Is it out of the norm, like aggressive, shy, quiet? All those are indicators that something is going on. And then you look for physical signs, other bruises, how is dental health, are they having all their vaccines? Like, is, are they taking care of? And these are the first indicators that you can see that no matter if it's trafficking or abuse, you step up, you say something and you investigate and then you will find out more or you'll find out it's maybe nothing. But people, and we have this problem in the society that people are so afraid of saying something when they see something because like, well, if it's nothing, I don't want to cause trouble. Well, guess what? You only can say something once too little than once too much. And that one time you didn't say something, that could have been a child that you could have saved. I was in the middle of dance classes. I had bruises all over. Nobody saw me. Nobody said something. I was approached by a teacher for a bruise around my wrist that was clearly from like being held. I said I fell and she let it go. I committed suicide at, or attempted suicide at um, age 12. And before I was waking up, I was also with medication. And before I was waking up in the hospital, my mother as a master manipulator talked to all the doctors and made it about her and her victim. Like she's trying so much as a mother, blah, blah, blah. Bottom line is when I woke up, the only thing that the doctor asked me at age 12, attempting suicide, why are you doing this to your mother? She's doing so much for you. How am I supposed to trust anybody 
clearly as a child, you think you're doing something wrong. So as a grown-up, as an adult, watching children, having friends over of your child, you want to watch for something that is off, something that your gut is saying, something is wrong. And when we talk about the gut feeling, um, especially in neurology, we say you only use 10% of your brain capacity. The 90% of your brain capacity is all unconscious. So the gut feeling that you think is just a feeling, it's actually your brain picking up something unconsciously, not able to process it correctly, but it's making your nervous system. It's um, activating your sympathetic nervous system and saying, hey, alert, something is wrong. And so I'm always telling people, listen to your gut feeling because it's actually your brain picking up something that you should look for. And then to be more specific with trafficking, um, you you want to see how the parents behave around the child or with you around the child. Do they let you talk to them alone? Are they always there? Are they always answering for the child? Do they always have an explanation for something off? And that is a behavior of manipulators, abusers, narcissists. Are they super charming? Do they seem just like perfect people? and never show any flaws, that is also a red flag. But the most most common thing to see is like look for abuse signs and look how the parent is behaving or the individuals that you just have a bad feeling about. If there's someone who's listening that is any age and feels like they might be in an abusive situation, is there like a black and white checklist that they can go through or is it not that easy? It's that's the problem. Abuse and human trafficking, it's never linear. It's always different. But if you feel like something is happening to you and it's not right, then it's not right. If you're uncomfortable, you're uncomfortable and you have the right to be comfortable and you can speak up, you can reach out to resources. And obviously, again, abuse signs, do you feel controlled? Do you feel manipulated? Is there a lot of gaslighting? I talk about this a lot on my social media and try to teach about trauma bonding, what it is, what, what, what the abuser does in order to create this trauma bond, whether consciously or unconsciously. It's very, very complex. But what I would tell anybody listening out there who, who feels like they're in a desperate situation, if you feel uncomfortable, if you feel like you're in pain, you have a valid feeling here that you need to listen to and take action. You have a right to feel comfortable and safe emotionally and physically. You talked about something earlier called disassociation. Mm-hmm. I think I might have experienced that before, and I'm sure there's a lot of people that have experienced it before. Can you talk about what that means from any kind of trauma? Okay, so dissociation. Let me go back first to like explaining the basics of trauma in the brain, and then it's easier to understand. So we human beings, we function on different levels. We have our frontal lobe and the amygdala, and we have so much more going on in the brain. But these are the two things that you want to look for in a trauma. So in a healthy brain, if you are in a stressful situation, what will happen is your frontal lobe, your critical thinking, your awareness level, your processing. If you end up, for example, in a, in a car accident. You shut down, right? Yes, yep. it shut down. It shuts down. It goes over to your amygdala and your sympathetic nervous system is being activated, which is called the fight, flight or freeze. And you go into survival mode. So it's called you, you go from restorative mode into reactive mode. Now, with that car accident is over, you're processing normally. Usually what happens is you go back from reactive mode to restorative mode. However, if your brain develops PTSD, which usually happens about four weeks after the actual traumatic event, your brain is unable to shift from reactive mode to restorative mode, and you're constantly stuck in your amygdala and your sympathetic nervous system, and you're not able to shift back into your parasympathetic nervous system. Now, the brain, wonderful, wonderful computer, amazing if you go into it, it's super fascinating, and it has a lot of coping mechanism to stay alive and have you stay alive, mentally as well as physically. What it does um, with PTSD, when you feel triggered, which is called you know, activating your sympathetic nervous system, and you've, it looks different for everybody. You have physical symptoms, you, you have mental f- symptoms, you dissociate, you get sick, you feel anxious, you always looking for danger, just very, very alert and aware and paranoid. But one of the mechanisms to mentally survive for the brain is to dissociate, which means you're zoning out. 
And that happens on all levels of trauma, with relationship trauma, with abuse, combat, car accidents. And it happens really on every spectrum. You don't have to have complex, heavy subject trauma in order to develop a dissociative disorder. And what happens, and I can explain some some personal experiences from when my trauma was really, really upfront. For example, I would go out for dinner with friends and the smell of burnt chicken triggered my brain. And while everybody was talking, I just zoned out. It was just like awesome. Why was it burnt chicken? Um, not sure. And I just zoned out. And not every time when you feel triggered, you develop flashbacks, which is like you see pictures. There's different type of flashback where you have pictures. You can have a physical flashback, feeling the physical phantom pain of the rape or so, or emotional um, flashbacks where all the emotions come back up. These are like the very much triggered or you dissociate, you so zone out and it's, we all have it happen sometimes. Everybody talks and you start having brain fart and you're like, wait, what did we talk about? And that is dissociation. Now it can become really complex as of like you develop a dissociative identity disorder, which happens a lot with especially young abuse survivors, which we also know commonly known as the person, multiple personalities, where your brain splits off and you develop personalities. That doesn't happen to everybody. Um, and then there's dissociation when something bad happens, which I, what happened for me when I got abused, I escaped into this dream world. I did not do this consciously. My brain was so smart developing this world so I could disconnect from my body and live in this world while the abuse happens. And nowadays here and there, it happens to all of us. We are somewhere, we're on the traffic light. Oh, it's green, dang. You know, and like you completely zone out. And that is also dissociation. It has different levels. What scares me about your story and what you're saying here, and like when you say 911, is it sounds like, and, and this is like so fucked up, but it sounds like a lot of times, like even if you seek help, you don't actually get it. There's like people that you're you're calling for help and people in authority or people in position to help, they you know, either their hands are tied, they're not able to, they don't recognize that there's distress. Like that that you talking about all these situations like and all these red flags and never having somebody step in an authority position and say hey this is not okay we got to take care of this like that's scary i imagine there's a lot of people hopefully not listening to that i mean if they are listening just hope this helps them but i and you know what i'm saying i hope there's not mm-hmm. a lot of abused people listening mm-hmm. to this but if there is but that are if you're being abused maybe you're scared to reach out for help because it's almost like in your case if you were planning to leave and you did and you escaped. But if the step before that was you were going to call and alert someone, then like maybe your mom or whoever's abusing says Correct. like, oh shit, I have to, you know, watch this mm-hmm. and, and put even more controls on you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, 100%. And I 100% understand that. Now, I don't want anybody after listening to this podcast feel scared to reach out for help. Sure. That's yeah. not the purpose. Now, my situation, fortunately, that was 11 years ago. And we've come so far in the justice system of training law enforcement on trauma-informed interviews. Most of them are good in it, not everybody. But we do also have an issue in society of not wanting to reach out because we're hesitant and we're nervous. If you don't feel comfortable reaching out to law enforcement, there are so many organizations and so many hotlines that can guide you through. Um, There's the National Human Trafficking Hotline. There um, is the Abuse Hotline. There's the Suicide Hotline. There's so many trained hotlines where you can reach out even anonymously if you don't feel ready yet and just want some guidance. There are locally organizations that you can go to. There are safe houses. I'm actually working with this amazing organization, the Safe House Project, and they train nationwide houses to start safe houses. And these are amazing two women. And there's so many more options than just 911 that are more equipped to help complex trauma because it is complex and it's not easy for law enforcement. Um, it's not ever linear and we are changing. We are working on it. And I work with law enforcement and unfortunately, unfortunately, they allow me to come and share my story and teach, you know, to see the signs. But what I would encourage anybody feeling like they are in a situation and they feel unsafe Reach out to your organizations locally to you if you have internet access. Call a hotline. Call the National Human Trafficking Hotline. Call the National Abuse Hotline. Call the Suicide Hotline. Because even if you don't feel suicidal, they will have resources they can guide you to. And please don't ever feel hesitant of reaching out to help. They are trained individuals that can help and guide you. And they're much more equipped than some me on social media. I get so many 
requests to like come and help and I'm not equipped it. But there's trained individuals who are ready and eager to help and donate all their time and energy and resources. I know this is this is going to be fucked up to not fucked up to say, but maybe fucked up. I think like as a society, there's areas of the law and the justice system where like you have to go through due process and there's trials and you have to figure out like, is this person getting prosecuted or not? But honestly, like my personal sentiment is if you're abusing young kids, like you need to be taken out of this world. Like, I, and, and that, maybe that's going to get me in trouble for saying it, but like, I don't know where there's gray area there. I don't know like where you need to run due process and say like, Hey, is this person, you know, okay or not, regardless if you're, if you're messing around with young children, like you need to be wiped the fuck off the planet. And I do agree that our, especially in Germany, what I've learned as of last year, the possession, production, and distribution of child pornography in Germany is not a felony. It's a misdemeanor, and you only get time two years on parole. So I don't, I don't get how you people don't come together as society and say like, listen, young children, minors, adults too, but children need to be protected. Like how it like. How could there not be some blanket policy where everyone, like, rational minds get together and say, listen, there is no tolerance for any of this stuff when it comes to children. But this is why it's so overwhelming as a society, because you're like, if that's if that can get away, like there's it's how can that even be true? It's, right. it's not even fair. That's why it's so overwhelming. But you are right. You can start in your neighborhood. That's the first step. And that's why we start talking about it instead of looking away. We've t- looked away for many, many decades. And this is where we are right now. Is it the right thing to say, okay, it's screwed up, there's no point, let's just walk away? No. The right thing to do is to speak up, to be firm, to to share stories. There's so many amazing survivors out there that are so willing and ready to share their most vulnerable parts, their stories, to give testimonies. And there's so many bad people, but there's so many good people who just are eager and working hard every day and every night to make a difference. And it might not be the change that we want to see in big waves and everything shifts overnight. That won't happen because this issue developed over generations. So it's going to take generations to clean it up again. But we start by doing it at home. We're loving our children. We develop healthy and functional relationships. We teach healthy communication and healthy relationship, what it means to set up healthy boundaries, what manipulators and abusers are. And I agree those people should be prosecuted to the heaviest of our law system. Not just fucking prosecuted. They should be thrown in a fucking wood chipper. But that's also the problem is, I agree, we need to work. But we fix the issue by fixing the transgenerational trauma. Sure. Yeah, there are a lot of, like, a lot of people who have a lot of issues and who are really ugly and dark. But once you heal them... It stops. And yeah, there are some psychopaths and sociopaths that can't be helped. They have lack of empathy. But usually, and I'm not saying abusers are good. No, I'm distancing myself from that as a survivor. But what I'm saying is if my mother would have had the same resources and people in her life that I do now, I would have never been trafficked. And so it starts with our system be more aware of abuse, be more aware of mental health, set up things that are more accessible and easier to reach out for somebody who is abused and not scared and to make it a topic, which I'm so grateful for of you guys that you use your platform. Let's talk about this uncomfortable topic. And it brings up anger and it brings up grief and it brings up fear, you know, of your own daughter. But this is where we come together society and try to find solutions with every perspective and ideas i think it and i also think like the reason we want to do this like i do i do think it takes strong men and women to hear this and when they hear about this stuff or see this stuff like they stand up and they say we're not going to allow this it's not okay right i think passively you know like the reason i get angry is not just for obviously lauren and i's daughter in our situation but for anyone yourself included like i like it makes my blood boil that's why i get angry because it's just not okay. It's pretty big of you to be able to sit here and say what you just said. I mean, that's that shows Thanks. like you've like really, really put the work in. Thanks. That's incredible. And actually, this morning something happened, and <clears throat> it was on social media, and I I can share it um, later. But there wasn't like and on social media. I mean, you guys get it. There's a lot of haters and a lot of trolls, and um, especially on the topic of human trafficking. And I got a really nasty comment, and I usually don't engage in 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 that area. For some reason this morning, I was like, you know what? I'm going to engage here. And the comment only said under a post of just calling out for for human decency. It wasn't on a specific subject matter. It was just like, guys, let's stop this. And let's come together as humanity. 
And the comment just said, I don't respect any women that don't respect men. And I was like, okay, let's let's talk. So then, and I'm going to just paraphrase it really quick. Um, I went ahead and was like, I don't know where I've ever mentioned anything that is disrespectful or harmful towards men. All I'm doing, and I'm not anti-men, all I'm doing is I'm anti-human trafficking. I'm anti-torture. I am anti-abuse. And I am pro-healing. And I'm pro-doing the work. And if you feel attacked or violated, then you might want to go do some inquiry because there's a reason you feel attacked and called out. And it just went like back and forth saying, and then it went into porn. You know, he's like, you can't tell me not to watch porn. And it would save the men and blah, blah, blah. It was just really unhealthy. That sounds like that person is doing something something yeah. weird. So what happened is that I did explain to that individual, look, most of porn is produced in human trafficking. Most of porn benefits from 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 human trafficking. A lot of porn actors are not actors. These are rape victims. And it's just very, very ugly. And also the organization that I have been working with is Fight the New Drug. And I was like, maybe you should look this up and see what actually happens behind the cameras and porn. So most porn is, is, is not two actors that are getting paid. No, there's a law that is actually trafficking where the individual might say on camera, I consent, but they've been pressured into it. Porn is super unhealthy. It's dangerous. It's harmful, um, not only neurologically. It's highly addictive, higher to become addicted to porn than to heroin. But the problem is that a lot of porn is produced during trafficking. I, I know I've been filmed as a child and it's out there and it's never going to go away. And I so I engaged with him trying to like tell him, look, here, this is what happened. And I guided him to some resources. And if anybody wants to find out more about porn, look up Fight the New Drug, an amazing organization that dedicates to fight porn. Anyway, long story short, instead of being a bully, I tried my very best to be civil yet firm about my boundaries and explain and educate that individual. What happened by the end of that morning, he DM'd me saying, hey, I'm sorry. I did not know about human trafficking. I'm going to follow you. I'm trying to learn more. I'm in tears. Then I was in tears. I'm like, look, we can do this. We can change one heart at a time. We can educate people by doing our work and then sharing with the people around us. If everybody would just do the work and just talk about it with the people around them, everybody would know. Everybody would do the work and we would be a better place. Do you see a lot of victims of abuse want to go on and have a family and have children? Or do you see them kind of push away from that just because of all the trauma they've endured? Oh, no, they all are so eager and so loving. And I my no offense to anybody, but my favorite people to hang out with are survivors. They're so far from anything that society is portraying of them. They're the most resilient, most brave, strongest, most giving people, most inspiring individuals that you can hang out with. And they are like my survivor friends. They're amazing mothers. And most of them strive in in families and they create a world they wanted so badly for themselves. And I just, yeah, most of them are so incredible and so strong and stronger than any of us could ever be, you know? And so there's so many other stories out there. And I hope that nobody listens to this story, my story and thinking, oh, she's amazing and make it about me. It's not about me. I'm safe and I'm healthy and I'm happy, but it's about the 40 million people who are still out there who deserve the same kind of path. And that's why you should hang out with survivors and learn more about them. You are amazing. Where can everyone find you and find resources and just any information that you can give us? Yeah. So I'm on social media everywhere. And on Instagram, you can find me under Coco Birthman and Facebook, Twitter, YouTube to learn more. And I started an organization a while ago, and it's called the Coco Birthman Scholarship Fund. We give out scholarships for survivors of human trafficking worldwide for higher education because education was my way out of surviving 
And I work with a lot of organizations that are so incredible. I'm going to list a few. Please look up the Safe House Project. Adaptive operations, they perform, and I've been with them on some jump missions. They perform extractions of trafficking victims undercover. There is global education philanthropist. Fight the new drug if you want to fight out more about porn and how it affects human trafficking. And then I would just encourage you to please, please reach out to your local organizations, because this is how you're going to fight trafficking in your communities and start learning, start researching. You can do the work, just Google and say, what's human trafficking? And you will get so much. And I get a lot of DMs saying, can you tell us more? What exactly is it? And and I feel honored to do the work, but sometimes it's exhausting because everybody just wants to have it on the silver plate. And this is not how it's going to work. You're going to do the work because once you put the work in better and then you go out and teach. And this is what we also offer on our website. We have the ambassador program where everybody can sign up for free. And there's a complete training about human trafficking. And then we created a slideshow that you can download, take and teach your own community for free. We have a lot of students who do it. And I'm always amazed by all the middle schoolers who take it and teach their classmates and help their classmates to stay safe. So there's so many things that you can find out if you want to put the work in. And you are one busy girl. You're working on huge projects. Is there anything that you can tell us that's up and coming for you? Yeah. So I was invited to give a tech talk in March. So that's going to happen. That is so badass. (laughs) I was like, how did this even happen? And I will publish a book in fall 2021. Can't say the name yet, but once I will be able to share the title, it'll be on my social media. Open invite to come back on when your book launches. You can come back anytime. Thank you so much for taking the time. No, thank you for offering and having a platform doing the right Thing. Thank you for trusting us to share your story. I am giving away something different today. My book. Okay, so this is the Skinny Confidential Lifestyle Guide. And all you have to do is let us know on my latest Instagram who you want to see next on the podcast. We're always in the comments and on DMs checking to see who you guys want to see next. I thought this episode was so impactful and we want to continue to do episodes Um, like this. So let us know who you recommend on my latest Instagram at the Skinny Confidential and one of you will win the Skinny Confidential Lifestyle Guide. It's my first book and um, I still use a lot of the recipes in it. And on that note, make sure you're following Coco. She's an amazing follow and we'll see you next time. 